0: Wichita State University is chartering planes for their football team to get to a game out of state when one of the flights ends in disaster. What caused the Martin 404 aircraft to crash in the Rocky Mountains?
1: Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, everybody, for episode 100! Woo! I'm Nick. I'm Miranda. And I'm Christy. I'm so excited!
2: (laughs) Also, fun fact, this is a Miranda wage warning episode. Oh my god!
1: As we notified Instagram
0: earlier today.
1: We we, uh, warned her in advance. She has no idea what's about to happen, but... Nope. Holy crap
0: uh nick thinks it's gonna be worse than some of our other ones i'm not so sure but Uh,
1: there we the number of times today we've been like oh she's gonna get so mad about that literally
2: someone on instagram was like is it bad that i look forward to those episodes i'm like (laughs) literally everybody looks
1: forward to those episodes
0: and i'm 90 percent sure that person on instagram was our patron helen so we see you we see you and also you write (laughs) and also yeah you write oh and small congratulations to helen Oh, yeah. For getting the married. Yeah.
1: We had our uh, Zoom calls with our patrons over the weekend. And, yeah, she's so, told us that she got married.
2: Congratulations. Yeah. Reminder that if you want to sign up for the newsletter, that information's on the website. And then for September, listeners' stories Our 9-11 Remembrance, so where were you when, or where were you when during a big event, it doesn't have to be like
0: 9-11. I.e. the Challenger or some other plane crash.
2: Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a bad thing either, it could be a good thing, but,
0: Those are just the ones that people remember. People are more inclined to remember bad events than good events.
2: Yeah, but if you remember a good event, you can send that too. Yeah. We'll kind of talk about a little bit about where we were during 9-11 so. Fruit Loops.
1: That's what you remember. <laughs>
2: Fruit Loops.
1: That is not what I remember. <laughs> and
2: watching nine news. Thank you, Adela Harakawa.
1: <laughs> so there.
2: All right. I think that's it for housekeeping.
1: Happy episode 100.
2: Happy 100.
1: Yeah. We don't Ooh! really have anything special to celebrate except that it's, yeah, it's triple digit, So Triple
2: Digit. That also
1: means we're only four episodes away from two years into this thing.
2: Oh, that's weird. Oh, God. So what are we covering today, Nick?
1: So today we are covering the Wichita State University crash.
2: Thank you
0: to our fervent listener, Alan. Alan! I'm pretty
2: sure you requested this because I'd get mad. Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure too. I'm not, like pretty sure that's the case. And oh boy. Also for the record,
0: since this is probably what will actually be the episode title, the tail number for this crash is November464MIKE.
1: Yes, we will talk about this a bit. Great. Okay. So this happened on October 2nd of 1970, which on October 2nd of this year, we will be in Vegas. So as a reminder, if you are around uh, about in Vegas on October 2nd, Go give ahead. us a shout.
2: Say, hey, hey.
1: We will try to meet up. This was a Martin 404, which we have talked about in the past.
0: The last time we talked about this was ages ago, though. Ages
1: ago. TWA 260, I believe.
2: Which was episode... Let me guess, let me guess, let me guess. Um... It's early. I want to say... 17? You're so close. 18. <laughs> Dang it! 18. I so
1: wow. close. You were close. And yes, with the tail number, November 464, Mike. The captain for this flight was Danny E. Crocker. He was... Are you ready for this? 27 years old. Okay. He is the captain.
2: (coughs) Cringy. I mean... We've talked about a 29-year-old captain before. It's
1: okay. There's nothing really inherently wrong with it. He had 2,452 hours total. So, not a whole lot, but over 2,400 hours. Of which, 123 hours were on the type. So, he only had 123 hours on the Martin 404, and he was a captain.
0: What? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What? It gets worse.
1: And so it begins. The first officer was Ronald G. Skipper. He was 35 years old. He had 4,500 hours, so he had almost twice as much. Of which, 30 hours were on the Martin 404. We'll talk more about him in a minute. Uh,
2: uh, okay.
1: We'll talk more about him in a minute.
2: Wait, wait, wait. Real, real, real quick, real quick. So the captain has a total... Of 153 hours.
1: No, he has a total of 2,452 hours. Okay. He has quite a bit of time. He only has 123 hours on the type. Okay. Just
2: want to clarify.
1: He got his type rating at 11 hours in. So. Okay. So, the aircraft was one of two Martin 404s being used for a trip from Wichita to Logan, Utah, for a trip for the football team from Wichita State University for a game. They were to stop over at Denver's Stapleton International Airport.
0: Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. hey, hey.
1: hey. The other aircraft being November 470, Mike. So similar tail numbers. We'll talk a little bit about both as we go along here. Both aircraft were owned by the Jack Richards Aircraft Company from Oklahoma City.
0: Owned by Joseph H. Richard. Yes.
1: The flight crews were provided by Golden Eagle Aviation. So now we have another company involved which was headquartered in Oklahoma City as well. We will get into the logistics of how all of this works later. After it, it,
2: my analysis. Yes, after it's,
1: her analysis.
2: It's giving me really bad Manx 2 vibes.
1: It's kind of along the same
0: lines. <laughs> The good news is, is that ticketing is not an issue because this is a chartered flight. Right. Oh,
2: okay.
1: This was for hire. The first officer for the flight was the president of Golden Eagle Aviation. So the first officer, with 30 hours on the Martin 404, He's the president of the company that, hired, that the crew belonged to.
0: Uh-huh. That face you're making? Yeah. It just goes
1: way downhill from here. Way downhill from here. Okay. <laughs> the captain was hired as a mechanic for the company and was used as a pilot on an individual contractor basis. What? Quote, unquote. <laughs>
2: what? <laughs> like, oh, you're a mechanic, but also... When we need a captain, like you're going to be a captain, okay? I mean, he was type-rated. He was type-rated, so that's great. But also, maybe not having both.
1: You have no idea how mad you are to be. Oh,
2: good. How how I to be?
1: Yes. (laughs) The flight planning for both aircraft was accomplished by Ralph Hill, who was the first officer on 470. Mike. So the the other other airplane, other airplane, not the one in question.
2: So. Are they just specifically for certain aircraft? Like, they're first officers on certain aircraft? Or are they flying at the same time? They're flying at the same time. So it's two planes, like... They In each, a little caravan.
1: Yeah, they each have to carry
2: half
0: the team,
1: half oh, of the team, oh, and oh, they're oh, being oh, chartered oh. to go all the way to. So the okay, okay. because
0: they're going on the same route, o- o- really only one flight plan needs to be made, and it'll apply to both planes. Yeah. Oh, they're the same okay. Type so of airplane. So they the follow behind each
2: other. Yeah. Oh, I can see this going south real fast.
0: It's fine. that think. that part's fine. Well, we'll Just talk about it. So the crew of the other plane made the flight plan, which is fine. Okay. We're just making yeah. it clear that it wasn't this crew that filed the flight plan. Yeah. Okay. So
1: the the planned flights for the day was all put together by Ralph Hill, the first officer from 470 Mike. And it was approved by cap- the captain of 470 Mike, which was Leland Everett. We won't ever talk about them again. Great. <laughs> Weather from Oklahoma City to Wichita and Wichita to Denver was considered to be visual flight rules, and therefore both flights were planned to be direct under VFR. Okay. So they weren't even using any sort of instrument flight plans for either one of those. Okay. The Martin 404, if you don't remember, is a twin piston airplane. So it doesn't fly super high or anything. Not very fast. None of those things. It can carry a considerable amount of people because they are quite large piston engines that the airplane operates on. But yeah, they're twin piston engines.
0: And they are pressurized cabins.
1: They are pressurized, yes.
0: So they can fly over 10,000 feet. Which, you know, they kind of have to since they're flying from Colorado to Utah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, because there's mountains. Yeah.
0: With 14ers, which, if you don't know that terminology, means mountains over 14,000 feet.
2: There
1: you go. You're going to learn a lot of Colorado things
0: today. So, So much Colorado slang today. It's going to be great.
1: Great. All right. The flight from Denver to Logan was to go north on the Victor 4 airway to Laramie, Wyoming, before turning west toward Logan via Rock Springs, Wyoming. The northbound routing would provide the flights with ample time to climb to a safe altitude before crossing the mountains.
0: So it's not so much that they couldn't cross the mountains in Colorado. It's more of that this gave them more time to get to altitude. Makes sense. Yeah.
1: Because they're not that powerful. A copy of the flight plans was given to the first officer, Skipper.
0: Who, as reminder, is the president of Golden Eagle. Yes.
1: For use on 464, Mike. On the morning of the trip, the two airplanes were ferried to Wichita, arriving at 7.50 a.m. Mountain Daylight Time, so 8.50 a.m. in Wichita time, but...
0: We're in Colorado time here.
1: Oh, this is going to be in Mountain Time. Yay, Mountain Time. <laughs> Yay. It's all very local. This was an easy one. At the time, 464 Mike was serviced with five gallons of oil per engine.
0: Which, first of all, holy crap.
1: That's a lot of oil. That and just gives you, an idea, oil. gives you an idea of how big the engines are.
0: And how inefficient they
1: are. Yeah, we'll talk about how inefficient they are in just a minute. Catering was provided to both airplanes, and the football gear and passengers were loaded onto the planes. At 9.08 a.m., the flights departed Wichita, and 464 Mike departed with 36 passengers and three crew, as well as, quote, a friend of the crew who was to serve as an additional assistant stewardess on 464 Mike, end quote. What?
0: Hey, Miranda, can you come be a flight attendant for a trip? Thanks.
1: That's pretty much how it went.
2: Excuse me? (laughs) So, a person who isn't particularly... Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Is the
1: backup stewardess. Now, mind you, there is an actual stewardess on this airplane.
2: But still. It's a... Were they trained to be a stewardess? The
0: actual stewardess was.
1: We don't know about the other one, because there's no details. Uh Uh-huh. Anyways. I don't like this. It just gets better from here. Oh, good. Four seven zero Mike, on the other hand, had thirty five passengers and three crew. So they were two people short of our four six four Mike. Okay. Both flights proceeded to Denver without issue. While en route, the first officer of four six four Mike visited with some of the passengers and informed them that they would take the quote scenic route, end quote, from Denver to Logan. Uh hold hold up, hold up, hold up. What? Okay, why are you not in the cockpit? This is Wine. the seventies.
2: Okay. <laughs> Still, why are you not in the car? Different rules. He could. This was technically legal. And scenic route? Okay. Here's what's going to happen with the scenic route. You're not going to go high enough. You're going to hit a mountain. We're not going to talk about gonna it. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Miranda. Shut the
0: Miranda, I want you to note that is the first officer, a.k.a. the president of the company, saying that. Remember that later.
1: Yes, remember all of this later. This is very important. <laughs> he also told him that he would point out the ski resorts and points of interest along the way. Now, this was actually kind of relevant because he wanted to point out a couple of the ski resorts that in particular were to be used during the 1976 Olympics, which Denver at the time had been this chosen city, before we decided to give it up the only city in history to ever have given up the Olympics.
0: Why did we do that?
1: Because it was economically impossible.
0: Oh, good job. We did the responsible thing. We actually
1: like- did. It has a lot to do with the governor who actually just passed away, the former governor who just passed away, who actually was kind of the first person in history to ever have said, this doesn't sound like a good idea. Like, we, this economically doesn't actually make any sense. And ever since then, the number of cities that, bid on each year of Olympics goes down. so
0: Because it's an economic nightmare. It is Well, you have a nightmare. billion people coming into the city. And you have to have accommodations for that billion people.
2: Yeah. Like, yep. if it was today, we probably could accommodate everybody. Maybe. But, but back in the 70s, I mean, my, my mom was talking about how Chambers used to be a dirt road yeah. that ended yeah. at Smoky Hill. Like...
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. The... <sighs> There used to be dirt behind Smoky Hill High School. Yeah. When my mom went there, that's all there was. Right. So. And most cities build separate arenas for the Olympics.
2: We don't have space for that,
0: yeah. A. B. It's expensive.
1: So all this point being, that was why he was kind of interested in flying over some of these points of interest. They were to be used during the Olympics, which at this time was still planned to be in Denver.
2: Okay. And they're not the one who made the flight plan. No. Uh Uh-huh. And they're deviating from the flight plan. Uh-huh.
1: Yes. Okay.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> Continuing on. At eleven nineteen AM, both flights arrived into Stapleton International Airport in Denver. Whoop whoop. Whoop whoop. While on the ground, both aircraft were serviced with fuel and oil. Four six four Mike took on an additional twelve gallons of oil per Jesus engine.
2: Jesus Christ.
1: So yeah. much oil! Can you imagine if every time you drove your car, you had to put gallons of oil, oil into, into
2: it? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, hold up, hold up, hold up. I have six gallons in the trunk I have to
1: put in the engine before I drive. <laughs> this is how they had to handle these airplanes, because they were so inefficient. Ugh. Anyways. They also took on another 721 gallons of fuel, bringing the airplane to full tanks for a total f- fuel load of 1,370 gallons. 464 four, Mike. Also had the main landing gear shock struts serviced with air and oil. While on the ground, the flight crew of 464 Mike briefly discussed the deviation from the flight plan, intending to fly on a more direct route to Logan.
0: Which, yes, it is technically more direct.
1: Yes, it is. They also informed the captain of 470 Mike their plans to deviate. So they were aware they weren't going to be doing the same thing. They were not going to be following that flight plan. 470 Mike departed Denver and proceeded on the originally planned route, heading northbound toward Laramie and then over to Logan. Meanwhile, the first officer, 464 Mike, was to be the pilot flying for the next leg of the flight and had occupied the left seat of the airplane, the captain's seat.
2: Yeah. What? Uh-huh. He had 30 hours of flying experience. Uh-huh. On this airplane. On this he airplane. He had
1: 4,500 hours of experience. So he technically did have more than the captain in total, but less on the type.
0: And
2: he was not pilot in command. No. And he's he was not pilot-in-command,
1: but he was pilot-flying.
2: This feels like, to me, like, he's like, I'm the president, and you have to do what I
1: tell you to. Like, I'm that the is president, exactly... and I have more hours than you, and I'm older you're than you.
2: You're not your... wrong! Like, listen, like, I realized you're the captain, but also, I'm older than you, more experienced than you, and I'm the president of the company. So, get out of my seat. Yeah.
0: <sighs> yeah. So! You mad yet, bro?
2: Oh, oh. I'm sure we haven't
1: even gotten there yet. Oh, no,
0: oh, no, no. no. <laughs> I made Nick take things um, out of his narrative,
2: because oh, no, I no. want to be the one to I'm irritated.
1: <laughs> y- y- I knew you were going to get mad with my part, and just you wait. <laughs> just You're going to get so much way. worse with her. Ears. Okay. They departed from runway 35 at 1229 p.m. The airplane was about a quarter to a half mile past the departure end of runway 35, when the air traffic controller observed that the airplane was at a very low altitude, and an unusual amount of black smoke was coming from the right engine. He informed the flight crew of the observation and asked if there was a problem. The flight crew replied, quote, no, we're just running a little bit rich is all. End so
0: quote. in aviation terms, when you're flying somewhere at altitude, say um, <coughs> Denver, <coughs> <coughs> something that people normally do uh, not normally, but commonly mistake when they're leaving out of, say, Centennial or Denver, yeah. you should not be full rich on no. your fuel to air mixture. You should be leaner than you are used so to. So you
1: reduce the fuel flow to accommodate the lower density in air flow coming into and the
0: therefore engine. lower amount of oxygen.
1: And typically so those that fly at sea level will fly full rich all the time. There's no reason you wouldn't you at sea level. Meanwhile, here in Denver, having learned to fly a bit here in Denver, and just flown with my dad a lot, and knowing a lot about this area, and worked at a flight school and all that, number one thing you learn in Denver, flying any kind of piston airplane with a manual fuel mixture, is to lean the airplane. You lean it a lot. You go lean a peak, and on a lot of airplanes during the summer, you go well below halfway on the mixture. It is quite the high amount of leaning. So point is, they're so, running rich, they're saying. Which and they're is, like,
0: yeah, we know. We know we messed up. It's which moving is, on.
1: Yeah, which is why the airplane is pouring black smoke, because it's very high fuel to air. flow rate versus air. And the airplane's also not climbing, because it's not getting the performance it's supposed to have. So
0: it's not the most efficient combustion that it could be. No,
1: it's still functioning.
0: Obviously,
2: because they got off the ground.
1: Yes. Oh, boy. This was... <laughs>
2: When Nick says, oh boy,
1: (laughs) yeah, you know you're in for it. So this is another weird 1970s thing that kind of took me for a loop. And this was legal, but this was also the last air traffic control communication that 464 Mike had with ATC at all. So the last time they talked to them was within a mile after takeoff. That was it.
0: Yeah, that's a little weird. Yeah. I mean that's weird for nowadays. But it's really
1: weird for nowadays I'm sure from it a major. Wasn't
2: bad back then. From a
1: major international airport, normally you'd get transferred frequencies. You probably have a few more instructions to climb and blah 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 blah, and then you probably get transferred to a center frequency and blah 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 blah.
0: But Denver wasn't as busy, nor was you know the entire country, and so
1: they didn't really have a f- scheduled flight plan. They were flying VFR, so
0: it's almost equivalent of flying GA. Where it's like, hey, I'm going to go this way. Okay, bye.
1: Yeah, this was pretty much fly by the seat pants. The air traffic controller last saw the plane about four nautical miles north of runway 35 on a northerly heading. As the flight gained altitude, it eventually intercepted the airway between Denver and Kremling. at which point they made a turn to the west on the airway. After that, the first officer was given headings by the captain to follow. They deviated off of the airway to the south in order to proceed through a mountain pass and then to follow a valley. This was believed to be near Idaho Springs. The airplane was in a constant rate of climb at about 140 knots. So basically they were pitching for speed. They maintained 140 knots and climbed out very, 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 very slowly. And they, made the, they crossed over this mountain pass and then down into a valley near Idaho Springs which is in the mountains. The flight intercepted Clear Creek Valley and then proceeded along US-6, which today is known as Interstate 70. -70. I-70. I-70.
2: Known for its ski traffic. Yep. And always being closed.
1: It's also the only major way through Colorado east to west.
2: That's not, like, taking eight hours.
1: There are other ways, but yeah, it's a significant deviation.
2: I-70 is
0: the biggest, I would say. Yes. Followed closely by Highway 285.
1: Yeah, but 285 doesn't go all the way through. It goes south. Yeah, but... It spits but, out into New Mexico.
0: I know, but, like, you can rejoin I-70 later. It's not the only way through the mountains. You can get through the mountains I'm not using saying, 285.
1: Yeah, I'm not saying it's the only way through the mountains, but it's the only practical way. It's the only direct well, road Well, because it
2: goes straight through yeah, yeah, it's the
1: only direct road that reasonably goes from the eastern border to the western border of Colorado.
0: Which I don't know if any of you guys follow the news is why it sucked recently when there was a ginormous mudslide on I seventy and it was Redwood
2: Springs. Cl- it
1: destroyed yeah. it through Glenwood Canyon.
0: And it was
2: closed for weeks.
1: Yeah, there was like a two hundred and eighty something mile deviation.
2: A four and a half hour yeah. detour.
1: Yeah, it was insane.
2: Like there were signs that You know, you see over the highway where it's like, don't drink and drive. This one was like, I-70 clothes in Glenwood. Four plus hour deviation. (laughs) I'm so sorry for truck drivers across the nation.
1: (laughs) Anyways, it's finally open again. It's still a mess, though. So, anyways, they intercepted the Clear Creek Valley and proceeded along U.S. Highway 6, slightly south of it, past Georgetown, and Silverplume toward Loveland Pass.
0: These are all very uh, familiar places to us.
1: Very. Georgetown is at 8,512 feet. Silver Plume is at 9,118 feet, and the valley floor rises up to Loveland Pass at 11,990 feet. So, the valley floor, the bottom of the valley, rises up to 11,990 feet. The mountains on either side of the valley west of Georgetown range from 12,477 feet to 13,000 feet. This is all just a reference.
2: I should ask, have they ever flown through mountains before?
1: These crew? We don't know.
2: Okay. Because that's kind of an important thing. Because if if you've flown through this way before, I kind of understand doing that. But if you've never done it before and you don't understand the elevation, you're going to screw yourself. I can't say
1: for sure, but what we do know is that the crew's from Oklahoma City.
0: A. Oh. B. I can give you a clue later that indicates that they have never flown this path before.
1: For sure.
2: Oh, that's great. So let's fly on a path we've never flown on before going deviating from our flight plan that would definitely have taken us safely to Wyoming, and let's go ahead and just do it because we can. Guess what? It gets worse. Oh, good. I don't know how it can get any worse Oh,
1: this just gets way worse. Multiple eyewitnesses on the ground along the flight path noted that the airplane appeared to be flying low or very low as it flew through these valleys. Everyone who observed the airplane along the last 10 miles of Clear Creek Valley noted that the airplane was always below the mountaintops. At all time. So they were
0: low. Which if you're picturing... Because you've driven up I-70 before. Yeah. This is a pretty narrow valley. Sort of. And it's... I mean, they have to be flying really low then. They're below the mountaintops.
1: Yeah. They're below 13,000 feet. We know that. That's so low. When the aircraft was in the vicinity of Dry Gulch, which is still there today, before Loveland Pass... The first officer noted that it didn't appear as though they would have enough time to climb to clear the mountains ahead of them at the end of the valley.
2: At Loveland Pass.
1: At Loveland Pass.
2: Okay, you understand that. Did they do anything about it?
1: He suggested to the captain that they should perhaps reverse course to gain some altitude. The airplane was flying along slightly to the left side of the valley when the first officer initiated a turn to the right, changing heading about 45 degrees by way of a 20 to 30 degree medium bank. As the airplane leveled off from this 45-degree heading change, the captain stated, quote, I've got the airplane, end quote, at which time he began turning the airplane sharply to the left and nose down. The aircraft began vibrating violently. Whoa, 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 Wait, 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 wait. No, wait, no, wait, wait. no, 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 so no, the, no, So
2: they're turning right? No, now they're turning left. Now no, but they originally left. turned yes. right. They turned right. And now they're turning left. Left. Yes. And... Down. Why?
1: At approximately 1 p.m. or maybe 1.14 p.m., I found two different times. One's in the report, one's on Wikipedia. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the aircraft struck trees at 10,800 feet on Mount Trelease before impacting the ground 425 feet later at an elevation of 10,750 feet, approximately 1,600 feet below the summit of the mountain. The aircraft broke apart on impact, and a fire began. Many people likely survived the impact and began climbing out of the wreckage to safety. However, the airplane suddenly exploded, and many of the occupants were still inside, unable to get out of the crash site in time for this explosion to happen. Eyewitnesses on US-6 and workers at the nearby Eisenhower Tunnel Project... which
0: Which wasn't in existence yet. They were drilling the Eisenhower Tunnel. They were
1: drilling the Eisenhower Tunnel, and there was literally a bunch of construction people nearby that watched the whole thing happen. Ooh. Yeah, that's how close they were to the Eisenhower Tunnel, too.
0: So you know exactly where this is. Yeah.
1: So these people on US... These drivers on US-6 and then the nearby Eisenhower Tunnel Project construction workers rushed to the crash site to help.
0: Also, to put in more perspective where this is, you know where Loveland Ski Resort is? Yeah. It's across the highway. Oh, so th- everyone at the ski resort probably also saw this happen. That's horrifying. There were in fact, I think at least two witnesses at yeah. the ski resort. This is in
1: October, so I don't not it's no guarantee that there was any skiing. There right was there.
0: at least one witness because there's this really nice little trigonometry graph in the report that I really don't talk about because it was kind of irrelevant, but he's like, "I saw this plane at this distance and so they calculated its altitude mm-hmm. using the witness who was above the plane at the ski resort." Oh, yep. Okay. Which, first of all, he's above the plane.
2: Yeah. I mean, so. and you can also go to a ski resort outside of ski time, too. But so, yeah.
0: there, if you guys are ever driving on I 70 for whatever reason, you're like, hey, that's the Loveland Ski Resort. Hey, that's where the plane crashed.
1: Yep. That's pretty much it. And it's still there, by the way.
0: We'll get to that. The plane? Yep. Yeah. <gasps> can we go see it? We it can. is. So, <gasps> since this has coming very up, easily, this actually. has come up now, there. You can exit I-70 at exit 216, I believe, and there is a trail specifically to the plane crash site
2: as well as a memorial. We're going. We're going. We got to go. Okay. We should go. Sorry. I keep interrupting you, but. No. You're you're good. I'm I'm also kind of outraged that he pointed the nose down. Unless they were stalling, and then I'm like, okay, it makes sense. But, like, why were they stalling? Because if the the shut up? I'm sorry. We'll
1: talk more about that in a minute.
2: (laughs) Okay. Ah, oh, Miranda spoiling thing.
1: <laughs> it's okay.
2: I'm using my deductive reasoning skills. Good. Damn you for that.
1: Okay. 11 people escaped and survived initially, and were all rushed to the hospitals down in Denver. Oh, good. Two... First of all,
2: what? Yes. There weren't any hospitals up there probably. It's the far, far away. It's so far.
1: This was hours away. It was an hour what? and a half, probably. Although in US 6, who knows what it was back then, so...
2: Also, if you're in an ambulance, they can go as fast as they want, really, unless you go down a mountain and you don't want to, like... Die? Die, so... So who knows how long it actually took to get to Denver hospitals.
1: Two of those 11 later perished in the hospitals. The other 29 perished at the crash site. Yeah. In all, 31 perished and 9 survived, including the first officer...
2: I feel like he shouldn't have survived. The
1: only surviving. That's what I thought. (laughs) He was the only surviving crew member on that flight, including that backup stewardess who passed away. He was the only one of the four members that survived. I know. So. He probably caused all this bullshit, too. We'll talk about it. (laughs) 14 of the perished were Wichita State football players. They still hold memorials to this day about this. They actually still have a a memorial at Wichita State. For this. So now we get to a really interesting little tidbit that I threw in here. Because I thought it was really interesting. One of the survivors recalls. And this is in 2017 by the way. He was talking about this. One of the survivors recalls being well below the mountaintops at all times. And then getting up to go to the cockpit. Which was normal at the time. When he realized that they were in trouble. Because he could see nothing but green out of the cockpit windows. He was standing by the cockpit door at the time of the crash, and he How survived. How did he live? I don't know. This stewardess that passed away was also standing and trying to serve drinks, which obviously went everywhere. Yes. <laughs> that was actually a note by one of the other survivors who said, yeah, she was standing and then began struggling heavily when her she trying to serve beverages, standing during the up turns during the heavy turns, and then dive
0: which also sucks when you think about it because this is in the 70s that was probably actual glassware not plastic yeah yeah ouch
1: yep okay that's it okay so there's the wild ride i'm starting
2: to really hate this first officer president bullshit oh
1: man you're about to get so much more mad
0: so, this investigation was performed by the National Transportation Safety Board, or the NTSB. NTSB.
1: However, the report looked a lot like a CAB report. Very much
2: it so. It is the 70s. Yeah, this so. was very early in
1: the NTSB's history.
0: It is no surprise, given the time in history, that this aircraft was not equipped
2: with, nor was it required to be equipped with... A GPWS. No. Oh, cockpit, or er, cockpit voice recorder, or er, FDR. There we go. Either way. There were
0: two witnesses who reported sounds of an engine backfiring, one of which was in Georgetown. Side note, where you can catch the Georgetown Loop, which is a train ride. Very fun. Old steam engine. Spouting tourism here. Which is about 15 miles down the highway from the wreckage.
1: Wait, a backfire? Yeah. That's what they thought they heard. Yes. This is a piston engine.
0: Let me continue. That being said, five other witnesses in Georgetown, one of which was a flight engineer for a major airline, said that the engine sounds were normal. Oh. Another witness just one and a half miles from the wreckage said the engine backfiring sounds were so loud that the passengers had to have been able to hear it. But this witness also reported that the fuselage was dark green and he was able to read 4 mic as part of the registration number on the fuselage just forward of the tail. Well, investigators knew that wasn't right since the registration was painted on the vertical stabilizer, hmm. not the fuselage. And the fuselage only had a dark green stripe and was mostly white or unpainted. So, the board concluded that this witness may have also been mistaken about the sounds he heard from the plane, and that the backfiring may have been from trucks or the Eisenhower Tunnel's construction. Oh, maybe, yeah. Since that was happening, and they were literally making a hole in the mountain. Yes. Other witnesses reported a small amount of black smoke in the right engine, but experts said that was normal and is indicative of having a slightly too rich air-to-fuel mixture.
2: What do
1: you know?
0: And it shouldn't be of too much concern. So,
2: quick question... Mm -hmm.
1: Can
0: you
2: fix that? Yeah, you just fix the mixture. You just
1: change the lever. You just pull the mixture. They
2: knew, taking off from Stapleton, they had too rich of a mixture. Yes. It was probably still just a titch too rich, but it ultimately wasn't really consequential. Okay.
1: Yes, this was not really a factor.
0: To debunk the mixed witness reports, the NTSB examined the engines and the damage they found, which I assume includes foliage in the engines, showed that they were turning and producing power at impact.
2: So they were working properly. Yes.
0: So there goes that theory.
1: Contrary to a couple of witnesses which actually said they weren't.
0: You may recall that survivors reported a strong vibration during the attempt to turn around. They reported specifically that it was strong as during the quote-unquote very, very steep and awful sharp bank. The bank was so steep that people on the highway said they could see the entire tops of the wings and the fuselage. Based on damage to the trees at impact, the plane was at 31 degree bank. Miranda, do you have any idea what that vibration would be? Buffeting? Yeah! It is. It's like I learned stuff, guys. Yeah! Stall buffeting. Yeah. It's called a pre stall buffet, which in many planes is the biggest indicator of approaching
2: a stall. Why are they turning so sharply?
1: To get away from the mountain?
2: Yeah, but do they have to turn that sharp? Yes. Are they that screwed? Yes. Oh, good.
0: So this was the natural stall indicator before stick shakers became more common, and experts on the Martin 404 said that the buffeting would start about six knots higher than the stall speed. So investigators tried to guess what the crew was trying to do that would require such a steep bank, and the first officer confirmed that they were trying to avoid terrain. To do so, quote... At an altitude of 11,000 feet MSL, with a left turn initiated just before the aircraft starts to cross U.S. Highway 6, a bank in excess of 60 degrees will be required for terrain avoidance at an indicated airspeed of 140 knots. If an attempt is made to maintain altitude and power is not increased, the airspeed will decrease. In a sixty percent bank, the flap with flaps extended to twelve point five degrees, pre-stall buffet will be encountered at one hundred thirty-four knots calibrated airspeed, and the aircraft will be stalled at one hundred twenty-eight
2: knots. So they were going too slow in the turn then. Yep. They
1: were going too slow in general. Remember, they were at one hundred and forty knots during this entire climb.
2: If flaps are not extended, the stall
0: speed would be approximately 127 knots. Accordingly, the board believes that the vibration was the result of abrupt maneuvers and a steep bank which induced pre-stall buffet and was not the result of malfunction of the aircraft, aircraft engines, or control systems. The 12.5 degree flap setting, which was found on the aircraft, fun fact, could have been selected by Captain Crocker to reduce stall speed it is also possible that they may have extended previously to improve maneuvering stability in the valley, end quote. Witnesses also reported that the plane sounded like cruising power and not climbing power.
1: So they weren't using full power by any means. Wow.
0: And witnesses as far back as Idaho Springs, home of the best pizza in the world at Pojo's, as well as Tommy Knocker's Brewery, just, you know, more Colorado tourism thrown in there. And we've also been to both. Yes. There, it, oh my God, best pizza. Anyway, sorry. Witnesses as far back as Idaho Springs said the plane was flying below the mountaintops. As far back as Idaho Springs.
2: Yeah, Idaho Springs is pretty low compared to Loveland. And it's Loveland. F- far
1: away. Yeah. Far enough away.
2: Yeah. I would feel like they would have had plenty of time from Idaho Springs to Loveland to climb
1: above the mountains. They should have had plenty of time from Denver from to De- start climbing. Okay,
0: Can listen. I read my next sentence We're gonna get- about that? We're going to that. The crash happened 25 to 30 minutes after departing Denver, and it only takes about half that time to get to 15,000 feet. Yeah. So why were they flying so low near Loveland Pass to begin with?
2: Yeah. What the hell?
0: First Officer Skipper testified that they had a flight plan made by the first officer from the other plane to fly north to Laramie, which would place them parallel to the mountains, giving them time to climb to a safe altitude before turning westward over the Rockies. The
1: original flight plan.
0: But Skipper testified that the captain was the pilot in command and decided to go sightseeing.
2: No, he was not! How dare you You throw him under the bus when he cannot defend himself! Yeah. Oh my god!
1: He gets worse.
0: But Mr. Skipper did admit to purchasing the charts in Denver to be used in pointing out landmarks and points of scenic interest. He did not already have the charts.
2: So not only are you throwing the captain under the bus, which, by the way, he is not the one who was like, yeah, we're going to go sightseeing over the mountains, whatever. But you're following a flight plan that put you over the mountains later than you expected. So instead of climbing like you should have done, you followed the other flight plans increase in altitude instead.
0: The next part I have yeah. literally written in my script. Now get ready for Miranda to get mad.
1: She's already mad. It gets worse. It gets
0: worse. The it board worse. determined that, quote, while Captain Crocker may have been distinguished as the pilot in command by virtue of the fact that he held a typewriting on the aircraft and Mr. Skipper did not. It is the board's opinion that Mr. Skipper, in his capacity as president of Golden Eagle, was in fact the person who decided the route to be traveled, end quote this dude he was not type rated on the martin 404 how
2: dare you take over an aircraft you do not have a type rating on and how dare you throw your captain under the bus when he is not the one who and then you switch seats with him yeah you have 4500 hours right on this on flying in in general right and even if you didn't have a type rating, wouldn't you think that you would be able to fly the aircraft to the point where we're like, we're going over mountains. I should probably inc- increase my altitude.
1: There's a whole nother piece to this in a little bit that's gonna make you even more mad. <sighs> I
2: Anyways. don't like I don't like him. I don't like him. No. I don't like him. Skipper testified that he was maintaining a climb maneuver. <laughs>
0: <laughs> really you could
1: call it that
0: really that would have produced a safe altitude before the flight continued over the continental divide now for those of you who didn't learn colorado geography in fourth grade the continental divide is the line down the rocky mountains where all water west flows to the pacific and all water east flows to the gulf of mexico and the atlantic this is important because it means that the continental divide or just the divide if you want to learn some colorado slang is a very high altitude
1: Yes, Yes. in general, is kind of that big ridge through the middle of the Rocky Mountains that splits that either side. Level and pass goes over that.
0: The NTSB determined that Mr. Skipper flew the airplane at an altitude, quote, higher than the aircraft was capable of maintaining in the event of an engine failure, end quote, based on the performance charts of the aircraft and also the fact that the aircraft was
2: 5,000 pounds overweight. So they didn't do their weight and balance properly either.
1: They were full of fuel, and they took off too heavy.
2: I was going to say, why did they fill up when they have a bunch of people and baggage on board? Then I was like, no, nah, they probably know what they're doing. They
1: needed fuel, to be <sighs> fair, but...
2: Did they need to fill all the way up? Probably not.
1: Not to get to Wyoming. Apparently not doing their weight and balance. They weren't, uh...
2: They were like, ah, oh, yeah, just fill her up! We're fine! Want to get more mad?
1: Oh, it just keeps getting worse. <laughs> Well, I told you. This one might be one of the worst ever.
0: It is presumed that neither of the flight crew reviewed the brand new charts that Mr. Skipper had purchased, because Mr. Skipper didn't return to the plane after purchasing the charts until 15 minutes before takeoff, and he spent most of those 15 minutes chatting with passengers.
1: So they didn't even have an idea of what they were going to do once they were up?
2: Okay. Okay. Listen. If you're going to deviate from your flight plan, which, by the way, you did not make...
1: At least have a plan? At least, yes.
2: Like, understand where elevations are. Understand where you're going. Because clearly you have no idea what you're doing.
0: Maybe if they had, they would have known that the minimum altitude necessary to clear Loveland Pass was 12,000 feet rather than flying at at reduced power at 11,000 feet.
1: Yeah, that was a big mistake.
0: (sighs) Furthermore.
1: Oh, here we go.
0: Even if the crew had selected maximum continuous power when they realized they f***ed up, they would have had a climb gradient of 4.57%, or 240 feet of climb, for every mile of Ford travel. Loveland Pass was two miles away, so they couldn't have gained 1,000 feet before then. And the other lowest point on the divide was three miles away, but at 12,517 feet.
1: So there was no way.
0: Basically, it would have been impossible to clear any terrain ahead. So you can't go forward. What was wrong with turning back like they were trying to do? At 140 knots airspeed and a bank of 60 degrees at maximum continuous power, you lose altitude at a rate of 340 feet per second. That's a lot. And they were flying slower than that. So that sucks because now you're losing altitude during your turn.
1: Super fast.
0: Quote, at 130 knots, the turn radius in a 60 degree bank would be 1300 feet. So it takes a 1,300-foot radius circle to turn around. However, this would require the aircraft to be operated constantly at only two knots above the stall speed and well into the stall-buffet range. Entry into the stall-buffet boundary would result in an increase in the rate of sink because of the drag induced by flow separation, end quote. Let's assume for a second that they actually managed to maintain that finesse of an airspeed. Which is a big if, for the record. Did they have the turning radius of 1,300 feet to use? No. At 10,800 feet, the valley width is 2,400 feet. So, yes. But they were flying through the middle of the valley. So, no. That cuts your turning area to 1,200 feet. So, no. The board determined that they couldn't turn around
2: either.
1: So there was literally nowhere they could go.
2: So literally, it didn't matter what they did, they were going to crash. Pretty much.
1: It was just about how.
2: And another quote. If the crew
0: had been concerned about the aircraft's ability to clear the terrain ahead less than one minute sooner, when the aircraft was still one and a half to two miles east of Dry Gulch, a successful turnaround could have been executed with use of maximum continuous power and a bank of only 33 degrees. They proceeded into an area from which an escape was not possible. End quote. Similar to the Yunkers crash, we covered... I was just going to say. Yeah. In episode like 89. Like Yeah. Yep.
2: Furthermore. Again.
0: The first officer did not discuss what he was doing with the captain when attempting to recover. The only thing that survivors heard the crew discuss was the height of one of the mountains. The captain had a good view of Dry Gulch out of his right-hand window and could see that it was only a few thousand feet before rapidly rising toward the Continental Divide. If the first officer completed the turn, he would have been flying right toward the also rapidly rising Mount Tralees. This is probably why the captain took control, but then he caused the plane to stall in his deep left turn, resulting in a loss of altitude and contact with the trees. And now for the confusion that Nick is going to discuss. And
1: now we're going to talk about something else. Completely. We're going to talk about the operator. So... Okay.
0: You might be wondering, who the f*** is the operator? Yeah, exactly.
1: Who, like, what? who do you think the actual operator of this airplane Because we've is?
0: discussed three different entities so far. There's the owner of the plane, the company that provided the flight crew, and then Wichita State University. Who,
2: who would, you, would think- you
0: call the operator?
2: The first
1: one. The owner of the plane? Yeah. Is it the well, flight crew? Okay, I'm going to read this verbatim from the report. Aircraft of the United States registry having a maximum certificated takeoff weight of 12,500 pounds or more may be operated in passenger carrying activities in the United States under more than one part of the FARs, the Federal Aviation Regulations. The determining factors generally related to the intended use of the aircraft, the responsibility for its operation, and whether the flights are for compensation or hire. Became apparent in the early stages of this investigation that there was a disagreement Among the the three interested parties concerning the designation of, quote, operator, end quote. In the course of the public hearing, the FAA witness testified that the FAA considered Golden Eagle Aviation, the pilot's company? Where the pilots came from. Yep. To be the operator. So in the FAA's eyes, they were the operator. Which makes
2: sense, because the president was on board.
1: Here's the line that's going to make you mad. And as such... Did not have the proper authority for the operation of a Martin 404 aircraft. So they weren't even
2: certified to fly the damn aircraft?
1: No, They weren't, in the eyes of the FAA, allowed to operate as an operator of a Martin 404.
2: Because they weren't a... They didn't own them, and they hadn't trained on them, officially. Obviously. Woo! So they shouldn't have even had these
1: aircraft. Both the Jack Richards Aircraft Company and Golden Eagle Aviation contended that the Wichita State University was the operator.
0: They're a college.
1: The f***? It was the position of Wichita State University officials that they had chartered the aircraft for Wichita State University, and they were not the operator. Yeah. No, they are not the operator! They are not the operator! They know nothing about aviation.
2: They are literally are like, here, you need to get our football team from here to here. That's a charter. We're and, paying you to do it. And they're the Golden Eagle, I believe...
0: I may be wrong on that, but somebody disputed saying, well, the assistant athletic director had a copy of the federal aviation regulations and said he understood it. That
2: doesn't mean you're the operator. No. The operator usually owns the
1: aircraft or operates it. I believe what the NTSB intended in this little paragraph of theirs is that the FAA's belief on who the operator is... Is who legally really was the operator, so Golden Eagle Aviation.
0: Because they were actually flying it.
1: They were actually flying it. They were and hired to fly the airplane for the company.
0: Furthermore, I, so this is now coming from a financial background. No money transpired directly between Wichita State University and the Jack Richards Company. It, it was
2: only Golden Eagle. Through so Golden Eagle.
0: So WSU paid Golden Eagle, who then paid Jack Richards for the planes. So, it was 20000 ish dollars total that Wichita State University was, pay- was charged, and Golden Eagle took their cut for the pilots and gave the rest for the leasing of the planes to the Jack Richards Company.
2: Oh my god, this is exactly like Mays 2.
1: The report proceeds Good to have god. another five pages on this where they go through each one of the entities beliefs and their statements on who the operator is I don't talk about this because there's way too much that's just way too involved on opinions so point is there was way too much confusion about this, and this was just a sketchy operation all around. A
2: hundred percent. The whole
1: thing was sketch.
2: Why are you having pilots fly an airplane they're not certified to fly? Why do you even have airplanes you're not legally allowed to fly? They don't have
0: them. They were leasing them. Yep. Well,
2: either way, why are you leasing airplanes you're not legally allowed to fly? And then okay. why are you also flying people on a charter? So
0: I can answer one of those questions. <sighs> why are you leasing an aircraft you are not certified to fly? originally, instead of two Martin 404s, it was supposed to be one DC-6. Yeah. That was supposed to be leased. However, that DC-6 was damaged in a windstorm.
1: And the captain actually is certified in DC-6, and that was actually his normal airplane.
0: That was the original plan. But when the plane was damaged, Golden Eagle did not protest nor change their prices when they had to fly two Martin 404s instead of one DC-6.
2: That's just not safe. No! That, if you were certified to fly a DC6 fine this one's been that specific DC6 got damaged then you say i'm sorry here's your money back we can't fly you we don't have an airplane to fly you
1: in instead they cho- they chose two martin 404s which are significantly lower powered airplanes also much smaller the DC6 is a four engine massive quad prop airplane and they are capable of handling an entire much football better team. performance carrying an entire football team versus a two Martin 404s with much lower performance.
2: So let's take a plane, we don't know how to fly, and deviate from the flight plan we're given, which we did not make personally, and also not look at any of the charts to figure out where we're going so that we can interest our passengers in some sightseeing.
1: And make it sure that they make it to their. And football also game on time. put
2: myself in the left seat, even though I am not the captain. And also fly this aircraft when I'm not certified on it. And also because I'm the president of the company, think I can do whatever the fuck I want. And then when it goes bad, f***ing blame somebody else because I don't want to get in trouble.
1: That's pretty much it. Yeah, you pretty much sum <sighs> that one up. Speaking of summing things up, we're gonna take a break and then we're gonna sum things up. <laughs> <laughs> What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> she left, went to the bathroom, and I asked her better. She goes, no. <laughs> and I said, angry? She said, maybe angrier. I had time to stew. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: so angry. You're huffing and puffing over
2: there.
1: <laughs> this one might be one of the worst. I said it earlier today. This
2: first officer, man. Who lived? Yep. How, How dare he
1: live? Yeah, he was one of that nine. That I'm hurt. not
0: usually... Almost never one to pass judgment on whether someone should live or die. I do not believe in the death penalty, but holy crap.
2: He's the one who made all the wrong decisions, and he's the one who lived. And then threw the captain under the bus, who's dead and can't defend himself. That pisses me off. Also, you killed so many people on board, because you're bad decision-making. Yep.
1: All right, let's talk about some findings. There's eight of these. I'm <sighs> just read them verbatim, because they're nice and succinct. The way that they do back then.
2: Yeah, I was like,
0: ah, oh, old NTSB reports. <laughs> yeah, Mind great. you, we're only on page 31 of the report. Thank
1: and God. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> they found that there was no failure or malfunction with the aircraft, power plants, or control systems. The airplane was not to blame in any way whatsoever.
0: No maintenance failures, no mechanical failures.
1: Here's the one that threw me for a loop. They found that the crew was properly certified for the flight. So no, he they wasn't weren't. type certified, but I guess that was legal.
2: Because he was under then. the
1: because the, the pilot in command was certified. I hate that. I'm also not entirely sure that this airplane required two crew. Could be part of why.
2: Oh that makes sense. Yeah, because this is before the time of we talked about a few weeks ago where that, first well, officers didn't have to be TP rooted. Blah, 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 blah. Well even
0: That's then said. even then though, like today on the Metro liner, which is
1: a nineteen seater.
0: A nineteen seater, you only need one pilot. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: That said, Obviously, this first officer was trying to be a captain in this regard. He was taking control of every aspect of this thing. All right. They found that there was a current airworthiness certificate in the aircraft, and an annual inspection had been performed, so the airplane was good to go. They found that the aircraft was 5,190 pounds over the maximum permissible takeoff weight at Denver, and 2,665 pounds over maximum certificated takeoff weight at impact. So no matter what, it was a... Above weight the whole time.
0: They were also, had they actually been able to land at Logan, they would have been over the maximum landing weight.
1: At Logan.
2: I don't know why they filled up on fuel.
1: They must have needed it to get wherever they were going. Well, and
2: and they flat out just didn't look at any of the calculations, obviously. Yeah. Both pilots. Because if they had done the proper calculations, they probably would have figured it out. But since... Neither of them are really experienced on this aircraft. Would they have figured it out? I don't know.
0: Well, they wouldn't have had time to. I don't know when they had time to do the weight and balance sheet because the Ugh. first officer got back on the plane 15 know. minutes before takeoff and spent most of those 15 minutes talking to the passengers.
1: Yeah. They found that the original flight plan was altered to provide a, quote, scenic route, end quote, for sightseeing purposes.
2: I definitely called it. Yeah, you did. Take the scenic route. You got to hit a mountain.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They found that the aircraft was operated over Clear Creek Valley at an altitude always below the mountaintops. They found that after the flight reached the dry gulch area, it was no longer possible for the aircraft either to climb over the terrain ahead or to execute a course reversal. So
2: they were screwed. Either so way.
1: yeah, the airplane was just done for. They found that none of the participants in this flight, the owner of the aircraft, Lessie, or the company providing the crew and other services acknowledged that they were the operator and accepted responsibility for the safety of such flight. Nobody took responsibility in the end. That's why the NTSB and the FAA had a problem with this.
2: 100% I would say it's on the first officer.
1: That's yeah, all eight find. It's
2: all Golden Eagle is the yeah. operator. Hands down.
0: I don't know why you would think it was Wichita State.
2: Yeah, that just or even who rented the airplane? Because frankly, well,
0: that is who rented the
2: airplane. Well, I mean, the person they got the the company they got the airplane, the
0: owner of the airplane, the Jack Richard.
1: Yeah, Jack Richards' company.
0: It wasn't them. No, no, they were just like, oh, you want to use my plane? Pay me money.
2: Yeah, you fly it. Also, I I know we're going on a sidetrack here, but if they were meant to rent a DC six, there was nowhere
1: else they could rent a DC six from. Possibly not, because those were pretty...
2: Well,
0: and it's not even so much that. It's that the Jack Richards company said, this got damaged, here's what I have to offer, take it or leave it. And they
2: just took it. And Golden Eagle took it when they shouldn't have. Yeah. It's not like you couldn't go to another company.
0: Now, I did. we didn't do enough deep diving into the business end of it, but I don't know how desperate Golden Eagle was for cash. That may have been a factor.
2: I'm sure it probably was. Because it wasn't... If the DC-6
0: was down... because Here, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. They had leased this entire situation, not just for this flight, but for the entire season. So I don't know how many future flights this would have impacted if they didn't take the DC-6, if they, or if they didn't take the two Martin 404s. I don't know how much money Golden Eagle would have been out on if they didn't accept this.
2: Here's the other issue I have, right? You're on an aircraft, you haven't really flown before, you technically don't have a type rating for. Why deviate from the flight plan? If you are flying Wichita State for the entire season... Why are you deviating on planes you've never flown before? Cuz he was showing off. For a bit from a business
0: perspective, now this is a really this is a really shitty perspective, but it could be to ensure that they use the same company in the future. Like, oh, this company took us sightseeing and we got to see all the cool stuff. We should use them next year.
2: Well, they had plenty of time to do that though, right? Is my Dude, problem. I don't know.
0: I'm I'm speculating. I don't know if that was the case. But, I mean, from a business perspective, it's marketing.
2: I understand that, but do it in a plane you're type rated for.
1: 8,000 levels of wrong. That's basically what happened here.
2: Yeah. Like, don't go, first of all, be in the left seat of a plane you don't really know how to fly, and then deviate from the flight path. Like, if you're going to do one, don't do the other. Right. Again, just to be
0: clear, that is all speculation from me. I don't know if any of that is true.
1: And that was all eight findings, by the way. That's it. (laughs) Like, that was it. So now the probable cause.
0: The probable cause, as verbatim from the report, the board determines that the probable cause of this accident
2: was the stupidity
0: of the first officer.
2: Sorry. That's That's not what it is, but I want it to be that
0: was the intentional operation of the aircraft over a mountain valley route at an altitude from which the aircraft could neither climb over the obstructing terrain ahead nor execute a successful course reversal. Significant factors were the overloaded condition of the aircraft, the virtual absence of flight planning for the chosen route of flight from Denver to Logan, a lack of understanding on the part of the crew of the performance capabilities and limitations of the aircraft, and the lack of operational management to monitor and appropriately control the actions of the flight crew.
1: You that know, pretty the, well sums it up in a short way. The yeah.
2: really sad part is is their other teammates probably got to Wyoming just fine. They did. To Utah. They got to Utah. They, Utah. Went to, they went
1: to Logan, Utah.
2: But they didn't make it because they decided to go an alternate route.
1: That was kind of the terrible thing.
2: And then they found out later, you know, that this plane had crashed. Yeah. That's horrifying. With their friends on board. Yes. Well, and I've talked about before uh, in our listener episode we released a couple weeks ago, I hate carelessness. Because this is carelessness. Yes. Right? You're not taking the time, if you're going to deviate from your flight plan, to do the planning you need to do so you can safely do this. Like, if they had safely done this over the mountains, it wouldn't have been a problem. But because they didn't really know this aircraft, and they didn't really know how to fly this aircraft, and... They didn't do any pre-planning before they took off. Yeah. Like, that's carelessness. You decided, oh, we're going to deviate from the flight path, but also I'm not going to do any. And also, like, not look at the weight and balance of the aircraft, which affects how well it can climb. Yeah. Like, if you're going to do that, people are going to die. And guess what? People did die. And it's your fault. How did he live with himself after that?
1: don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything more beyond that.
2: I
0: I still can't believe like out of all of this shit that happened that he blamed the captain. It pisses me off. Cuz he did that to cover his ass. I'm sorry for how much swearing is in this, but that's how vehement we are about. And
1: I'm this. sorry if it seems like we're really attacking a single person, but there's pretty much one person to blame in all of this. And it's pretty evident.
2: It's really sad to me that the captain had tried to recover and he just couldn't. Because he realized he's the one who tried to save the aircraft because he knew they were in a dangerous situation. And he ended up, you know, putting it in the ground. But That wasn't his fault. It would have ended up in the
1: ground anyway. It didn't matter where they went. Well, and unfortunately, he was young and not going to say inexperienced, but lower in experience. And this wasn't really his intended job. He was a mechanic. Yeah. That was his primary job. He was a pilot on the side, and this wasn't even his primary airplane. He was type-rated for it, but, like, all of this along the way, he's having to fly with his boss. Literally the guy who hired him at I the company. I didn't even think
0: about that. That's a whole other crew resource management factor of And problem.
1: Before crew resource management was a thing. Right,
0: because this so, is before CRM. But, so there's so many levels... Like, you're the captain... And you're really having to answer to your boss instead, who's acting as your first officer.
1: And he was still pretty new to this airplane and everything. I mean, he was type rated, I believe, not even a year prior.
2: Well, and more than that, they brought on another crew member who could potentially not have been certified to be a crew member.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, did you mention um, how recently trained the actual stewardess was?
1: Yeah, I believe it was a month prior. She had no aviation experience before and she was trained on September first.
0: This flight
2: was October second. She was new. All of this seems so jumbled together. Like it, it seems was. like they changed the flight th- the flight plans from having one DC six to two Martin four o fours. She was and- probably trained for the football season. Exactly. Yeah, and probably. so everything kind of just jumbled together. And like then it seems like there's no organization.
1: And then you know, they brought along a friend to act as yeah. a backup stewardess, which, how is that a safe thing to do? It's not. Well, they said friend, I mean... And they did say in the report that that backup stewardess was actually trying to help people get out of the airplane. She survived, and she was actually trying to help, and then perished. And she got caught in the explosion. When it exploded. Yep.
0: Uh, here's another point of speculation. They say friend. She could have yeah. been the girlfriend. We don't know. And that could have been, oh, I want to go on a trip with you. Can you act as backup stewardess so you look official?
1: I have no idea. I really don't <sighs> that
0: know. That is speculation. No but... matter the fact,
1: they weren't any part of the actual crew. They just weren't.
0: They weren't trained. Like, that's, that's they were the level into of... The,
1: they were written into the report as, quote, a friend of the crew.
0: That's a Thank level of flying by the seat of your pants,
2: this is. Yes. Like I said, it just seems so jumbled together. Like, like they weren't planning on flying two planes for
1: this flight. Shall we do the recommendations? Yeah. Um, there's no list here. I'm just going to read this verbatim from the report. It's only two paragraphs, and it's interesting. The testimony given during the public hearing held in connection with this accident indicated a widespread misunderstanding by educational institution and business concern personnel of the problems and regulations involved in the operation of large aircraft or the responsibilities of lessees of an aircraft. Accordingly, on November 9, 1970, the board issued a safety information release recommending that potential users of large aircraft on a short-term charter basis question providers of such services as to the type of operations for which they have been certificated. Should there be any doubt as to the proper certification, such users should consult the nearest FAA office for advice. As noted in this release, the safety board is aware of the investigation into all charter operations, as ordered by Secretary of Transportation Volpe. Volpe. Yeah, Volpe.
0: So what that means is this was a national... Problem. Issue. Logistical catastrophe? Such that the Secretary of Transportation...
1: In 1970, this actually got a lot of attention, because this was a major football team on the way to a football event, and it killed them! That was an enormous problem and to this day they still have memorials for it because it was a media frenzy over a football team got killed in another accident this wasn't the last one either because the other one we talked about was only two months after this i believe
0: are you serious
1: i'm pretty sure
0: southern airways flight 932 carrying the marshall university football team mm-hmm. crashed
2: six weeks later
1: six weeks later
2: yeah and i'm pretty sure it was a sea fit accident right I don't remember. It's been a while since we covered that episode. I believe that was
1: the one in the dark with the DC-9.
2: Uh, and they descended below minimum descent altitude. Oh, yeah. that's right.
1: Yep.
0: That was our minimum descent altitude episode uh, yeah. series, unofficially. Yes. So, in summary, the Secretary of Transportation said, y'all need to look at what the hell you're doing, because something's wrong. Obviously. So it became a national audit. Yes. Of charter operations. and All my, charter operations.
1: Mind you, these days, charter operators, they have their own crew and their own airplanes. So they do it all. It's part of being part 135. And in any case, most football teams and sports teams and things like that, they either hire a 121 or a 135 operator, which have to be at a very high level of certificate.
0: And that applies to both collegiate-level teams as well as
2: professional-level teams. National, yeah.
1: yeah. Yep. National teams. We continue. The board is in accord with the need for such an investigation and is hopeful that the results will establish safe practices in all charter or leasing activities. Concerning the suggested regulatory changes contained in FAA's Notice of Proposed Rulemaking 70-41, the board is in complete agreement with the conclusion in the notice that there is a need for regulatory action in that area. Accordingly, the safety board has forwarded comments on the proposal to FAA Administrator Sheriff. Uh, These comments are contained in Appendix J to this report. So now we're going to go down to Appendix J real quick because oh, we that well because it doesn't clarify exactly what that actually is. I think it's
0: oh, the... it's just reiterating that they're in complete agreement.
1: Okay. So all okay. this is just a-
0: The problem with the existing regulatory scheme appears to be the fact that it requires a determination as to the type of operation for compensation or hire before one can identify the applicable operating rules. This is basically a legal determination and requires an expertise not present in those charged with the responsibility of surveillance. The enforcement of such a scheme inevitably results in time-consuming investigations, a need for legal review, and often requires litigation in the federal courts to obtain a resolution as to whether the operation was for compensation or higher.
1: All this is just to say that this was a really sketchy operation and the charter part of this. Was and it was just... thrown
0: together last minute and should have they should have consulted the FAA.
1: There's so many levels of wrong. And they didn't.
0: The FAA had no, probably had no idea this was going on. Her so this was around. a complete clusterfuck.
1: Yeah, the whole thing was just a mess. It's really unfortunate because many people lost their lives. This was a big media deal. This was a big deal for the football season. And then six weeks later,
0: Southern Airways Flight 932 <sighs>
1: crashed. Bad year for football, for collegiate football. And aviation. Things have since changed so much. There's so many things we could go into why this changed. and I mean, sightseeing, I mean, for one, obviously. not possible. Part 135 is a thing. And they would fly actual flight plans because they have to be instrument flight plans plan when they're flying yeah and well they have to be on an instrument flight plan when they're flying for hire that is the regulation and furthermore they can't carry passengers below a certain altitude and the airplanes can't fly through the valleys like that with passengers on board and we have GPWS and there's a billion things that have changed since this happened and it's really unfortunate that this operation was so sketchy that it cost the lives of people that were really just professionally trying to get somewhere and do their thing. And they would have
2: no idea. Yep. That's like the big problem I had. Their
1: have. life was in somebody else's hands and they there was disregarded all of it. They
2: could do about it.
1: It's unfortunate.
2: Would I'm, you say this is your top rage episode? I don't know. I mean, US still- Bangalore was pretty bad. Yeah. But this is a, a pretty close second. Partner is also not great. Or not Partner, uh, Pinnacle. Pinnacle Airlines was pretty bad too. But mm-hmm. this drives me nuts because the person who actually caused all this to happen blamed somebody else.
1: And all of this Instead was. Instead of
2: just taking it and going, yeah, this was my fault.
1: And all of this was super preventable.
2: 100%. If they had just flown the flight plan they were supposed to, it would have been-
1: Do the job you're given to do. Don't do something for fun. That could be dangerous.
2: Someday we'll cover the flight that did that in France. Oh, yeah. And it did not go well. Yeah. And it did Did not not go go well. Well. So that's that. (sighs) Thanks for coming to my rage episode, everybody.
0: (laughs) That was the Wichita State University football plane crash.
2: Otherwise known as November 464-MIKE. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Alan for recommending this Rage episode.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Alan, for recommending I'm pretty sure
2: rage. that's 100% why you recommended oh, he, it to us. He
1: admittedly recommends things to hear your Rage. I know. <laughs> so he absolutely did this to hear your Rage.
2: As long as I've never heard of it before, I do Rage pretty good at them.
1: And this one's local. Fair. We're going to go see this crash. So you I really be, want to. You I could go be of, mad in person.
0: I kind of want to go see it before it airs, but I know that's like a really tight timetable.
2: Yeah, we really
1: don't have time.
2: No. I would love to do it, though. Need to do it before it snows, though. That's more of my point.
1: Yeah, maybe two weeks from now. We'll go see this
2: plane crash. Yeah, we'll take pictures of me getting mad in person. It's not a far hike
0: at all. No, it's off the highway. Like it's—I think it's a quarter-mile hike off the
2: highway. Oh, that's like super that.
1: easy. It's pretty easy.
2: So, all right, friends. Thank you for coming to the Rage Fest. Thank you to our patrons. Obviously, you guys make everything happen. We just I just want to reiterate real quick, if you have to drop patronage or you have to drop the amount you do a month, please do so. We yep. realize that financial situations change or sometimes you're just, you don't listen to it as often or whatever. We appreciate your patronage in any form that you gave to us. And thank you for joining us if you leave. And if you're still here, thank you still even if you lowered your amount that you contribute because we appreciate it. Either way. Remember that the September stories are try to get those in as soon as possible so we can get that recorded and not to you at the beginning of October like we did this month, sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And thank you again. Check out the Patreon. If you don't know what's on the Patreon, we'll probably talk a little bit more about this episode in our post episode, which you can have access to if you are a five dollar patron or an economy. Business. Business class. Patron. And economy is the $2, which you just get ad-free episodes on. And merch. And merch. You get a sticker you get a sheet. sheet. You get a sticker sheet. You
1: get a little bit of sticker stuff.
2: So, but thank you so much. And you get the the EVPs we talked about last October, which I have another EVP that we can talk about.
0: I'm sorry. What?
2: Yeah. It's actually, cool. we can listen to it during the post-episode because I put it on which, that, for
0: those of you who aren't uh, paranormal
2: savvy, is electronic voice phenomenon. Yeah. Sometimes we catch some stuff while we're recording, and I'm editing, and I'm like, the hell is that? <laughs> what <It's> is that? <laughs> Do we times. believe in the paranormal. I know probably a lot of you don't, but and that's, that's okay. part of what you get. Yeah. So... If you want to hear all that stuff, you can go check out Patreon. You can look us up on Patreon. We'll pull right up. Or you can just go to the website and look up uh, on our Patreon info page. You can also go see all what's included with the Miranda-sodes. We have a, a short episode. One, we need to do more.
0: Okay, in our defense, Brendan said that he would take over responsibility of that, so that's on him now.
2: Uh, well, we'll see whenever that happens. <laughs> yeah. was like, I liked doing research when I was on the podcast. And one- now me and him are both back at school and it's like at yeah. actual. Cluster. Yeah. Yeah. I so we'll get more of those out. I know that we had a few people send some stuff to us for those. We just haven't had time guys.
0: And Brendan is aware of them. So he should work on them. I'll eventually. talk to him about it. Well, anyway.
2: We- There's plenty of stuff included. If you want to ever, like, see us, like, on a Zoom call, you could be a a Flight Crew patron. You also get a cool notebook. Only for Flight Crew patrons.
0: There's also... We wouldn't blame you if you decided to be a $20 patron for one month just to get all the cool merch and then drop your patronage later. There is no shame in that.
2: Or just doing that to get any of the merch, really. If you want to see what's included merch-wise, go to the website. It's lined out. You can also go to Patreon. It's also lined out there. So... There you go. There's also the merch
0: page, which, by the way, we posted on Instagram today of Milo wrapped up in our Hard Landings blanket, which you can get. Yes, yeah. and there's another
1: Hard we Landings keep, blanket. We keep adding things to that all the time. So Patri- Periodically, and there's stuff galore on there. And if you think of something that you would like to have, we can try.
2: Miranda added the shirt. I did
1: the, the dog electricity. Dog shirt. The oh, no, turtle the electricity. And, it says
2: turtles and electricity. Excellent. On the back. <laughs>
1: If you know, you know.
2: And you're violating my airspace. Yes! Yes. Sorry. Both of those are currently on the merch site, so. And the dog shirt, which I'm in love with. Cool. So, I I know it's kind of a a long outro, but thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you all next week. Keep Keep your airspeed up! Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hardlandings Podcast, and on Twitter at Pod. Subscribe and leave a five-star review on the platform you are using to listen.
1: If you would like to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at heartlandingspodcast.com, where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions.
2: This episode was researched and written by Nick and Christy.
0: Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us, plus Leo.
1: And our logo is by Naomi from Not a Monster, Not a Boogeyman.
0: Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.